I want you to imagine uh, a perfect place. A place that when you go there, everything's exactly as it should be. You know, you arrive and, and, and everything just smells wonderful. It, it looks everything in place. When, when you go, everything is right on time. It's, it's the way really it should be. When you come in and when you come out, it's always effective. It's always efficient. And everyone just seems to be happy all the time. The reality is, by God's grace, this place, it does exist. It's Chick-fil-A. Um, when, when you go there, I mean, it's just wonderful, right? I mean, like, you, you, you get there, and the chicken, it's just delicious, and you get there, it's always fast. I mean, even though you'll see a, a line, like, all the way wrapped around, like, you know, going to Target, and, and you, but it's still fast, right? And then you have the waffle cone, or not the waffle cone, you have the, the waffle fries, the, the ice cream cone, you have... I mean, the sweet tea, goodness, it's, it's great, right? Like, I'm a southerner, I can drink that all day, too much, right? And then, I mean, let alone the Chick-fil-A sauce, right? I mean, if you were here last week, Polynesian is delicious as well, but the Chick-fil-A, I mean, it's not, it's not cheese dip, right, it, like last week, but it is second. I mean, it's just, you can put it on anything. This is something that my wife and I, we have strife about in our marriage of whether or not the Chick-fil-A sauce is good. You can pray for her in, in, in that way. But no, my wife, she loves the honey mustard, and she's absolutely right. It's delicious as well. The reality is, though, if you've been to Chick-fil-A, there, there's something that they always say, right? You know it. What, what is it? What do they always say? If you ask for something, they say, my pleasure, right? Right? And so I actually worked at Chick-fil-A uh, about six or so years ago when I was in seminary. And um, if I can give you like an insider information here, it is not always uh, their pleasure. It, it's just, it's just, it's just not. Okay. Um, I remember when I, when I, like it was like first or second week, and I they had me making coffee. Which fun fact about me, Daniel, I, I don't drink coffee. So it's a great idea, right? Get the guy that doesn't drink coffee to make coffee for everyone. Get it, and and it it spills all over my hand, like it's just burning. I mean, it's horrible, right? And instead of like console, because I'm the new guy, they're just like they get mad at me. I'm like, wow, this is my pleasure. And then someone uh, someone lost their keys, and so who got to go and dig in the trash to look for the keys? It was it was rad. And so you know, it's just the the reality is though, like even though you know things like that happen. I, I really did love it. Like I, I could say it, it was my pleasure to work there. I mean, I got free food. There's that. But more than that, like honestly, I was able to be on mission every single day when I was working in Chick-fil-A. Because I, I knew this going in, but as soon as I started working there, like day one, I realized my 60 or so co-workers, the vast majority, did not know Jesus. Like they were, needed Jesus. They were lost without a savior. And so I just, I was excited so I could be on mission for those around me to be able to share the gospel and live the gospel with them. And quite simply, to, to be on mission is to bring people to Jesus. And as you bring people to Jesus, you make disciples who make disciples. You make followers of Jesus, disciples who make disciples. And so in that, I was, I was excited. I was really motivated for the mission, you could say. And in that, it, it, it kind of felt like I was on a mission trip, like every single day that I was at work. I, I don't know how many of you have maybe been on a mission trip. Maybe it's locally or somewhere in the state or in the country or even internationally. And when I've been able to do those things, and, and Lord willing it, that we can continue to do those things with Catalyst Church, 
you always feel just really motivated for the mission, right? That you're, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to wake up early. We're going to pray. We're going to be looking for intentional ways to go out of our way and share the gospel with people, to, to bring people to Jesus. I'm going to tell them my story. I'm going I'm to go outside of my comfort zone. And when I was working at Chick-fil-A, I really felt motivated for that. But then I, I fell into these rhythms that I think you do too where we might have all these great missional intentions of I, I want to tell others about Jesus. I want to tell him how he shaped my life. But sometimes we can just get distracted with just stupid things, right? Like, I mean, even maybe it's things that matter, but like ultimately in comparison to the mission of God, right? Whether it's, you know, you're excited about, you know, a, a new season starting in a sport or you're, you're like me, you can't wait for the new Lord of the Rings show coming out or, or maybe, again, maybe it's even important things, like work or school or, or whatever it might be, but in comparison to the mission of God, we can get lost in these things and really at times even lack motivation for the mission. And so what is it that we, the church, can do about that? You know, we've been going through a series and we're wrapping up this morning of really who is the church and who are we to be? And in that, we've seen that we should be centered on the gospel, the good news of Jesus in my place. And that out of that gospel, it forms us into this community, this family, this church together, to live life together, to serve one another together, to encourage each other as we, as we uh, are tempted by sin and as we suffer. But in that, we are a gospel community on mission. And so how do we motivate and how do we find motivation and actually go out on mission together? That's what we're going to look at today in Isaiah chapter 6 as we finish up our series, looking at how we, the church, are defined by and are to live on mission together. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to look at the dude named Isaiah. And I say dude because I want you to think about not the prophet Isaiah, though that is who he is, but I want you to think about the ordinary person who's living an ordinary life, but with gospel intentionality. The man who had hopes, dreams, and fears. He had hobbies. He, he had off days. He had good days. He perhaps went on vacation or had, took a nap at times. Like just a normal person like you and me. And what we'll see in the passage is that he is motivated for the mission of God. And in this, we'll see that it is the gospel itself. That's our big idea, that the gospel motivates the church, the community of God, the family of God for the mission of God. And so let's pray and we'll dive into Isaiah chapter 6 and see what this mission is and how we can be on mission together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that we can open your word and see this wonderful reality that, Father, you sent Jesus to save us and we as those who have been saved are sent. Father, I, I thank you that we can join in on this mission that you would use broken, sinful, jacked up people like me like us, to be on mission for you. I pray that this morning, that those who are, don't know Jesus, that your spirit has been on mission for them, that they would come to know Christ today. They would behold and marvel at Jesus, and they would be saved. Father, I, I pray that as well that those that are here that are in Christ, that you, Father, would help us to, to join in on your mission together with Catalyst Church. And as we pray every week, Father, for a missional partner, I thank you, Father, that four years ago we were able to plant out Grace Point Church in Williamsburg. I pray for Pastor Bill, Pastor Adam, Father, as they are ministering and pastoring this morning, would you empower them, Father, that the gospel would move there in Williamsburg 
and hear in Newport News this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump right into Isaiah chapter 6. It will be on the screen if you need it, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. That's when this passage picks up. It's when this king named Uzziah dies. Now, Uzziah was a great king. He was an awesome king. He was the one that everyone would want to vote for in, in 750 B.C. until he wasn't awesome. He became prideful, and so the Lord gave him leprosy, and he died alone. And so this is where Judah, the nation, is at. They're in this, honestly, this time of mourning, this time of sadness, because they thought they had the king, the great one, and then he blew it. So who is the king? Who is the one they should look to? And that's where Isaiah picks up. He has this dream, a a, a vision. We don't know exactly what it is, but he gets a backstage pass into the throne room of God. And that's what we get to see as he tries to describe it to us. It was the year that King Uzziah died, and then I saw the Lord. This is God. This is the king sitting upon a throne. He's high and lifted up. I don't know if you've ever been to D.C., but there you'll see when you, when you walk right up to the Lincoln Memorial. And if you look up, honestly, you're just like floored of how big it is, like how tall it is, how high and lifted up it is in comparison to you, just this ant of a person, right? This is kind of this experience that Isaiah is happening and seeing. Here he's the Lord, the king is on a throne. He's not worried. He's not wondering what's going to happen next. No, he's seated. He's sure. He's sovereign. He's in control. And he's high and lifted up. And in fact, we'll see just how high and lifted up, how great he is. Because he says next that the train of his robe, the king is, is wearing this robe and it has a long train. Right? He's describing his, his clothing, which if you're like me, you're like, okay, let's keep going. I don't know what that means. But the reality is here when he's talking about how long his train of his robe is, he's describing the worth of the king. The longer the train of the robe, the longer, the greater, the the more wonderful the worth is of this king. And his train is infinite. It just goes everywhere around this temple. It fills the temple. The very presence of him fills everything. That's who our king is. That's who our God is. He is, as we'll sing later in our service, the king of kings. No one is higher. No one is greater. No one is surer than our king. And he is the king, the Lord. What that means is any other ruler, any other leader is not the king. It is King Jesus. That means it wasn't Uzziah. That means it's not President Biden. That means it wasn't President Trump. That means it's not me. That means it's not you. It means that Jesus is the king. He is the Lord. And so the question as Isaiah is seeing this king is who is the king of your life? You know, in Christianity, we say that Jesus is Lord. Really, it's saying Jesus is king. Is he the king of your life? We see that the king is there. But who else is there? In verse 2, it says, above him, not above in the sense of greater than. They're just flying around. They stood seraphim. Each had six wings. Two, they covered their face, two, their feet, and then two, they flew. And so these seraphim, these are angelic creatures. They're flying around. They've got six wings. They look way different than what pop culture says angels look like. 
and they're really these terrifying looking things. It, they're literally burning ones. And so we don't know if they're literally or metaphorically on fire, but they're these terrifying things. And they're flying around and they're saying something. Verse three, it says, and one called to another and said, holy, 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 meaning perfection, set apart, different, is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds, the whole throne room shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So in this scene, we see it's almost like a volcano is going to erupt. It's Mount Vesuvius. And, and why? It's because the holiness of God and his glory is just that magnificent. It's that amazing. And so as Isaiah and these seraphim are marveling at King Jesus, they're just blown away by his holiness, his perfection, his otherworldliness, his separate nature, totally different of who they are, who we are, and who he is. But it's interesting, right? If you're reading closely, it says, holy, holy, holy. When you see repetition in Scripture, it's trying to highlight something. It's, it, it's kind of bolding it and underlining it. And it says, though, that the whole earth is full of his, if you're reading carefully, you'd probably expect his holiness, because it just said, holy, holy, holy. But it says of his glory. Why does it say his glory? You know, glory is, is really ascribing worth to something. It's something that you talk up. It's something that you dream about, that you think about, that you can't stop talking about. Maybe it's Steph Curry hitting some crazy shot. Maybe it's someone throwing an amazing touchdown pass. Maybe it's, that was the best book I have ever read. Let me tell you everything about it. That's glorifying something. And here, God's holiness, he is so holy. He is so other than, he is so perfect that that glory doesn't just go around town. It doesn't just fill the temple. It fills the entire earth. That's how holy he is. That's how wonderful. That's how great he is. And so Isaiah, he sees this high and lifted up king, this sovereign king, this sure king, and he is holy and he is glorifying him. And how does he respond? Verse 5. It's the only way that anyone responds when they see the king. He falls down and is broken. Verse 5. And I said, woe is me. I'm broken. I'm undone. I'm embarrassed. I have nothing to offer you, this glorious king. Why? For I'm lost I'm dead in my sin, you could say. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, of sinners. Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. When we marvel at Jesus, Catalyst, there's two responses. There's those that turn away from Him, and there are those who fall down at His feet, broken, and in awe at him. When we marvel at things in life, we've experienced this where you've just, it takes your breath away, right? I, I remember uh, in college, it was my sophomore year, I guess, I started to really see and get to know Kristen. And I was, you know, I was kind of like, hey, 
I, I see you, right? And I wanted to get to know her. And so she invited me to this, uh, this etiquette banquet. It was a club that she led on campus. And uh, in this etiquette banquet, you get all dressed up, uh, and they have like this fancy meal, and they teach you how to have good etiquette as you eat. I didn't really pay attention too much, I'll be honest. But I heard good food and a pretty girl, and I was there. So uh, I got dressed up. Kristen was leading the club, so she was kind of busy. And so I got dressed up. I showed up early, and uh, she's busy, so I didn't really see her. And I remember, though, when I saw her, I was just blown away of just how beautiful she was and how beautiful she is. And I just, I remember, like, very distinctly, I just turned around, and like, audibly, I was like, wow. I was just, it was just amazing. And Isaiah here, is not blown away. He's not marveling at a beautiful woman or just some amazing thing that happens in life. No, he's marveling at the king of kings. And because of that, he is broken. He realizes, I am nothing in compared to his holiness. I am not holy. I am a sinner. I am broken. I have nothing to offer him. Friends, is this where you have come? in your life? Have you ever marveled at who Jesus is and just been in awe of him? If you haven't, friends, look to Jesus. See who he is, how holy, how perfect, how glorious he is, and just marvel at him. When we do, when we see Jesus, who he is, and us rightly in light of him, Friends, our response is to repent of our sin and believe in that king. And when we do, there's forgiveness, salvation, and life. Verse 6 says it. When he sees, woe is me, I'm a sinner in light of you, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And what did he do? He touched my mouth. Because he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. He touches his mouth with this coal and says, Behold, look, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is gone. It's taken away. And your sin, it is atoned for. It is paid for in full. The sacrifice has been done in your place. And so as we marvel at Jesus, seeing who he is and who we are in light of him, our response is to look to that king who came and lived the perfect sinless life that we can't in our place, and then died the death that we deserve on the cross. He did that to pay our sin debt back to God the Father, to atone for our sins. And we know his payment was good because he walked out of the grave. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, our enemy. And he made it way for anyone to repent and believe the gospel to have life, salvation, for their guilt to be taken away, as the passage says, to then be brought into this community of God. Friends, this is the gospel. And Isaiah experiences this as he marvels at Jesus. For some of you today, today needs to be the day that you see Jesus and you repent and you believe. For those who are then continuing in the faith, those who are believers, we see what the reaction, the response is in light of this gospel. He says, verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
who will go for us? Here he's given us this clue that our God is a Trinitarian God, right? Father, Son, Spirit, us. Then I said, in, re- in response to that, what does Isaiah say? Here I am, send me. He's, he's excited. He, he can't wait. You see, in light of the gospel, what does our God do? Our God saves people to send people. And it's not just that. Because what really is the story of the gospel? As we saw earlier in our series, in Genesis chapter 3, we saw that we had this perfect life with God and with each other. But we brought sin into this world. And there was this promise that, a, that one would be sent, that Jesus would be sent and ultimately die in our place. And he did. Friends, the sent one has sent you. He has sent me. He has sent the saved to be on mission with him. And he asks, he says, who will go for me? And Isaiah, as he has now been saved, he is sent. He is on mission with Jesus in his plan to save the world. And so as we join in Jesus' mission to bring others to Jesus by making disciples who make disciples, the question comes, how do we have this motivation and how do we actually go out on mission? Because those that are just saved, they're the best people to go out on mission. Like those that just come to Jesus, they're going to be just like Isaiah. They're just like, oh, send me. I can't wait. They don't need some class. They don't need some 12 steps of how to share the gospel. They just want to go. They just want to say, Jesus saved me. I'm a sinner. He can save you. But sometimes we do lack this motivation. Sometimes we get into these everyday rhythms and we forget that Jesus saved us and has now sent us. That the sent one is sending us. So how do we go forward on mission? Because really the the rest of the story in, in, in this Isaiah 6 passage is that he is to go out on mission for some to come to Christ. We see in the New Testament, whether it's in Matthew 28 or Acts chapter 1 or even passages like Mark 16, that we are to go. We are to be Christ's witnesses. We are to make disciples who make disciples. So how do we actually do this? If we are sent by the sent one, if we are to live life on mission, how do we as a church actually do this? Really, there's two ways. First, you have to identify your one. And secondly, you have to live a sent life. You have to identify your one and you have to live a sent life. Let's look deeply into what this means. So first, you have to identify your one. A lot of this comes from a pastor, a mentor named Tony Morita. I quoted him a few weeks ago when we were in Acts chapter 2. And he talks about how we can look at the spheres in our life, the areas in our life, to really be identify who Jesus has providentially put in our lives for us to be on mission for. And when I say and describe your one, what I mean is this one person that God has put in your life for you to be on mission for. It is likely, in fact, very probable that you have more than one person but I'm talking about the one person who is most receptive in your life that God has purposely put there for you to pursue on mission. This is something attainable. You might say, well, there's so many people in our city, right? I mean, we have 180,000 people in our city. And stats say, even generous stats, that three out of four people don't know Jesus. I think it's actually worse than that. But let's just take that for a minute. That means there's 135,000 people just in our city that don't know Jesus that are dead in their sin, that are destined for hell and separation from our God. Take CNU, there's about 5,000 students 
that means there's somewhere between 4,000 and 4,500 right over there that don't know Jesus. Friends, our mission is great. And when I, when I hear 4,000 or 4,500 or I hear 135, I'm like, I can't do that. But I can do one. I can be on mission for one person. And so how do we identify our one? Well, Tony Marita has a great list. You think through who in your life do you either know they're not a Christian or you're not sure what their spiritual state is. That's the questions you need to ask. And you look in these five different spheres of your life and quite literally write these names down. Who is it that you know doesn't know Jesus or you're not sure their spiritual state? First, in your family. Those in your family, whether it's people you live with or, or those in your, uh, in your kind of extended family, who doesn't know Jesus? Secondly, with those that you live. Maybe you, or in, in those around where you live. Maybe you don't have a roommate or, or someone in your household or whatever, but maybe you have a neighbor. Maybe this is a dorm mate, a sweep mate, someone in your apartment. Maybe it's someone just down the street or in your cul-de-sac. Who is it where you live that you know they don't need Jesus or you're not sure? Then thirdly, it's where you work. Now, it's not just where you work in the sense of you might say, well, I don't have a job. Well, what is your vocation? Are you a student? Are you a stay-at-home uh, parent? Are, do you have a paid vocation where you're out in the field? Who is it around you that you don't know their spiritual state or you know they don't know Jesus? Fourthly, where you play. Maybe this is where you go to the gym or you like to go to get coffee or, or, you, uh, or you like to go to a, a movie or a show or you like to go dancing or whatever it is. Who around you where you play? And then lastly, where you shop. Again, maybe it is that coffee shop or maybe it's this restaurant you always love to go to. Where is it? Maybe it's this grocery store. And then friends, as you go through these fears, I guarantee you something. Before you start, you will say, I don't know that many lost people. And then you will go through this and you will realize, I know way more lost people than I ever thought. And then ask the question, who is most receptive to me sharing the gospel with them right now? That's your one. That's who you pursue after. That's who you pray for daily. That's who you tell your community group. And as we have missional hangouts, these intentional times in community groups to invite people, that's who you invite. This is how we live on mission together. First, we identify our one, but then secondly, we live a sent life. We live a life on mission that the sent one has sent you. That it's not just some identity of, you know, it's just when I become, just when I come to know Jesus. Or you know what, it's just for extroverts, right? The mission of God, it has to be just for people that are willing to go up to some stranger and share the gospel with them. No, it's for extroverts, it's for introverts. It's for men, it's for women. It's from, it's from people that are young and people that are old. It's for people that have been believers for a really long time and people that just came to know Jesus. The mission of God is for all those who have been saved. Saved people are sent people. And we go out together on mission, living this sent life. Now this list, it, it's been super helpful for me. It comes from J.D. Greer. He's a pastor in uh, Raleigh-Durham. And I want us to look at each of these. Of what does it mean for us to live this sent life? First, it's that sent people recognize both God's role and their role in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is Matthew 28. It's to go out and make disciples who make disciples. It's this continuous process, too. We don't just graduate from it. No, we keep making disciples, and we do that so well, followers of Jesus, that they make disciples, too. And so there's God's role in the Great Commission, and there is our role, the church's role, your role individually. 
So what is God's role? Well, God's role, first of all, is that God the Father promised that he would send Jesus and that Jesus would come and actually die in our place. That is firstly and chiefly God's role in the Great Commission. It's so he can bring glory to the entire world as he saves sinners and brings people into his family. But then secondly, through his spirit, God's role is that he is drawing people to himself. He is working in their heart, showing them who Jesus is. As well, providentially putting us in places so we can have these opportunities to build these relationships, to be able to share the gospel with others around us. But then there's your role. Your role is that God has put you there. And so when you hear and you see these people, when you see who is my one, that we actually live, we show, and share the gospel with others. That we actually live on mission. That the gospel goes forward as we live and proclaim the good news of Jesus in my place. Friends, we have a role in this. Everyone here, if you are in Christ, is on the team and is sent by Jesus. Friends, Jesus has sent us. So let's live in light of God's role and your role. But secondly, sent people have a rich theology of place. Theology is just a word of what you believe and what you, words and sayings and thoughts about what we believe about God. And this theology of place is that when we look at Scripture, we see that Scripture has this deep, this rich theology that God has put you where you are, when you are, on purpose. And not just that, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus in my place is not just for you individually, though it absolutely is, and it's not just for us, the church, though it absolutely is. It's even bigger than that. It's that Jesus is the king and that the king is coming to rule and reign and bring his glory to the whole earth. As Revelation says, that he is making all things new. And so in this, we are part of this as the church to restore and bring this restoration, this reversal of the curse of sin to the entire world. And so you know what that means? It's that God has put you where you are, when you are, on purpose. That Jesus loves Newport News. That Jesus loves seeing you. And that we, the people of God, who have been put where we are and when we are, we should love Newport News. And we should love seeing you and the surrounding areas because Jesus does. So much so that he died to save this city. Died to save this campus. Died to save this people. And so, college students, first I want to talk to you about this. Have you been asked, I'm sure you have, maybe I've even asked you this, why are you at CNU? Why are you there? Because let's be real, all right? Now that I've graduated with a, a few degrees and stuff, you can totally go to school at other places. Like, CNU's great, right? I'm brand new here, I've been here for four weeks, and it is a dope campus. I've heard about all sorts of different programs that are like really are like kind of leading things, especially if you want to study in certain areas. But let's be real, all right? There's all sorts of schools you can go to and even other options outside of school. And while being at school to be able to build relationships and be equipped and ultimately be sent out so you can get a great career and be able to provide for your family, those are good and right things. You could do that at a million places other than CNU or, or Regent or, or Liberty Online or wherever you go to school. So why is it really that you're at CNU in August of 2022? It's because the High King of Heaven put you here right now 
to be on mission right there. That's why. That's why you're there. Because the sent one has sent you to be on mission for your doormate, for the person on your hall, for the person in your classroom. You might say, Daniel, I don't even know what that means, how to be on mission. That's okay. This is why the church, we move forward on mission together. But Jesus has put you there for those 4,000 to 4,500 that don't know Jesus, that when you hear them talking and you realize they don't know Christ, I'm here to be on mission for them. And those in the military. We have a number in our church and those that are visiting and, and trying to get and plugged in. Why is it that Jesus has you here? Is it just simply because your commanding officer or Uncle Sam said you have to go to Newport News? No. It's because the high king of heaven, the king of kings, said you're going to be stationed right here to be on mission for my city. The sent one has sent us. The host of armies he is described as has sent you here to be on mission right here, right now. Friends, we should have a rich theology of place. Those that have lived in Newport News and the surrounding areas, Jesus has you here to be on mission right here. Kristen and I, again, we just, we just moved here. And when we were trying to decide and, and, uh, of like where should we buy a home, of course we had like all the practical things that anybody has, right? Like, well, we got a certain kind of like price range, right? We need certain types of things. I'm not a very handy guy, just to throw that out there. So we kind of needed somewhat move-in re- ready. We needed a certain amount of space and room, you know, for our family. But outside of the just basic things that our family needed, what we prioritized, because we want to have this rich theology of place, is in light of those things, we wanted to be as close to campus as possible because this is one of the primary missional identities for our church. But secondly, we wanted to have home and a living room that could host people so we could live life scattered in community together. And then we wanted to be in a neighborhood that we could actually be on mission with our neighbors. We wanted people right around us so we could rub shoulders with them and be on mission for them. Friends, this is how we move forward, that we have this rich theology of place. But then thirdly, and we'll move a little quicker as we wrap up here. Some people, they start with prayer. They realize that the Holy Spirit, he moves and he will move wherever he wants. But there's something about prayer as the people of God pray and they pray together and they pray fervently, consistently, persistently, almost annoyingly, scripture describes at times, that God moves. That you pray for your one that you've identified. That you pray together. And you pray that God would do something bigger than you can do. That he would empower you. Maybe you're terrified to talk to your doormate. That you just pray, God, would you help me? Help me and give me the words. Give me the courage to step forward, to show, and to share my faith. But that we pray. Sent people as well. Fourthly, they listen for the Holy Spirit. Friends, the task is too big for us. We are less than 0.1% of the population of our city. How in the world are we going to be on mission for our city if we're that tiny in comparison to this massive city, let alone Hampton Roads, the peninsula, our nation, our, our world? How is that possible? It's by the sent one who is with us. Because the sent one sent the Holy Spirit to live and to empower you. And we have to listen to him. He goes with you. 
Friends, this, this is why we gather together to hear the word, to hear the empowered and the inspired word by the Holy Spirit. We gather on Sundays around the gospel and we scatter throughout the week to live and to apply this together. We need each other to be able to really discern where is it that the Spirit is leading us. Friends, we listen to the Spirit. And then lastly, sent people see all of life as mission. You see, we don't move past or graduate from being on mission. You don't make disciples once and then, all right, great, I did it, I'm done. You don't just go on a mission trip or, or something or you go to CNU and you pass out a card and, all right, I did it. I did my mission work today. Now, friends, we, our identity is that the sent one has sent us. We are sent people. That we would be a people on mission together. The reality, though, is it is so hard to do this. And we can lack mission, excuse me, motivation for that mission. But how we continue on mission together as we keep going back to that gospel. We go back to the good news of Jesus in my place. We don't move past it. We don't graduate from it. We have to continue to center our lives around it. And it's as we do that, as we gather on Sundays around this gospel, singing the gospel, hearing the gospel, seeing it made visible through communion and baptism, that in these things and then scattering throughout the week in community groups where we live and apply the gospel in life together, Friends, that's how we can be on mission together because it's this gospel that will motivate, will fuel us for mission. And to live on mission, quite simply, is a lot like really Isaiah. Not some prophet, not, not a pastor, not someone who has everything together, but just an ordinary person living an ordinary life with gospel intentionality. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, they say in their great book, Total Church, around gospel and community and mission, that that's who the church is. That's how we live on mission. Ordinary people living ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. Friends, this is something you can do, that we can do, the church, the compelling community of God. We can live on mission. We live on mission for our church as we love and serve and care for one another. That's why joining in on the church, serving, whether that's in kids, first impressions, maybe it's with the band or worship, how we love and serve even in the church as those who are outsiders come to be able to love and be on mission for them. But not just our church, we love the campus. We love the campus that God has put right next to us, reaching out, loving them, serving them. As well, we love our city. Jesus has put us here in Newport News to be on mission for our city. This is how we'll be going forward in community groups, to be able to love our city well. But then lastly, we love the world. Jesus died for the world. Friends, we want to be on mission because the sent one has sent us to go to all nations, to every tribe and tongue. And so Jesus has sent us. If you are in Christ today, the sent one has sent you to be on mission for him. May we be a people together who center on the gospel, and we say, here am I. Send me. Send me on this mission. Because it is the gospel that motivates the church for the mission of God. Let's center on that gospel, and let's be on mission for Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that we can see and be reminded from your word 
you promised you would send Jesus. And he really did come. Father, I don't deserve that. We don't deserve that. Just like Isaiah, we can say, woe is me. I have nothing to offer this king of kings. Father, you died in our place. Jesus did that work in our place as you sent him. I thank you that you sent Jesus. And that you, in your holiness, in your perfection, you send broken sinners like me, like us, out on mission with you. I thank you. And I thank you that you've given us your spirit to empower us, to go out on mission. Father, help us as we bring others to Jesus, as we make disciples who make disciples. I pray that you would use this compelling community, Catalyst Church, as we gather together on Sundays, we scatter in homes in community groups, that you would draw people. As we saw in Acts chapter 2, that day by day those would be added to our numbers. That people would go from dead in their sin to alive in Christ. Jesus, help us to be centered on the gospel together. In Jesus' name, amen.